Need to get away? Yeah, I think we all do. It's time to get away from all these screens and head out into the wonderful world that Mother Nature gave us. Let's go take a hike, have a swim in the lake, and then gather by the campfire. It'll be good for the mind, body, and soul, but before you go and do that, you may want to have a listen to these five stories, because it just might save your life. Here are the five darkest camping stories that actually happened. Number five, the Lady of the Lake. Crescent Lake, located in Seattle's Olympic National Park, is an unbelievably beautiful body of water. It's surrounded by mountains and old-growth trees, so no surprise why hikers and campers seek out this location to get away from everyday life. However, for years, there have been sightings of something otherworldly here. There's the figure of a woman who seemingly glides across the lake, an apparition who has been seen by hundreds of people. And while it's not entirely clear if this apparition is real or just a figment of collective imaginations, its origins come from a story that definitely took place. Back in the mid-1930s, there was a rustic tavern perched precariously on the edge of Crescent Lake. In this tavern, a refuge for loggers, travelers, and the occasional adventurer, was home to a barmaid named Haley. At 35, Haley's life was a patchwork of failed relationships and unfulfilled dreams. Her latest attempt at love led her into the arms of Montgomery Monty J. Illingworth a beer truck driver who was known as having a bit of a temper around town. Their marriage reflected this, as Haley was often seen with bruises, painting her skin, and she confided in her co-workers about Monty's brutal assaults. Eventually, this relationship reached its breaking point one night, outside that very tavern, in an altercation so severe that local law enforcement had to intervene. Shortly after that, Haley then vanished without a trace on December 22nd of 1937. Monty was questioned. He spun tales of Haley fleeing off with a sailor. Despite suspicions, there was no way of proving he was lying, and life at the tavern and around Crescent Lake trudged on, with Monty eventually leaving for California, seemingly burying the mystery of Haley's disappearance beneath the lake's silent waves. However, Crescent Lake, it appears, was not one to keep its secrets. In 1940, a body emerged from its depths, floating to the surface as if summoned. It was a grim revelation that would unravel the mystery about what had happened to Haley. But this corpse, interestingly, was unlike any other. Wrapped in a blanket and bound with ropes, it was hauntingly preserved. The skin had transformed into a rubbery, soap-like substance through a rare process known as saponification, where the body's fats convert into adipocere. This ivory soap corpse, as the doctors termed it, bore no facial features, fingers or toes, yet it was unmistakably human. Despite the lack of facial recognition or fingerprints, the body was identified as Haley Illingworth, the match was made through physical characteristics, hair color, and crucial dental records. The investigation turned to the rope that bound her, a peculiar type sold exclusively by Sears and Roebuck. 
And this rope, traced back to the tavern owner, was linked to a beer salesman who had borrowed it and never returned it. It was Monty. Monty Illingworth, now in California, was extradited and stood trial for the murder of Haley. Despite his claims of her being alive and the body not being hers, the testimony of Haley's dentist sealed his fate. Monty was found guilty and then sentenced to nine years in prison, a meager punishment for such a heinous crime. And so, this lady of the lake, as people have come to call her, whom travelers and hikers alike come across from time to time when the light of the moon is just right, and may possibly be the spirit of Haley coming out to show herself as her physical body did back in 1940. And then again, it may be a collective reimagining of her tragic real-life story. A woman stuck in a place so long, both before and after death, that she just never left. It's a sad and tragic story, and one that tends to stick with you. Number four, danger on the Pacific Crest Trail. Kira Moon, a free-spirited hiker, embarked on a trek along the Pacific Crest Trail, which runs along the west coast from the border of Mexico in the south up to the border of Canada in the north. It was the spring of 2022, when their love for adventure and nature, Kira sought solace along the trail's serene beauty. However, somewhere along in the Sierra Nevada mountains, her path would cross with James William Perillo, a man with a hidden and ominous past. James, a seemingly charming and experienced hiker, had a history marred by criminal activities, cleverly concealed behind his charismatic persona. His record, unbeknownst to Kira, included petty thefts and a series of unresolved allegations of more serious crimes, which we'll get to later. Their meeting was seemingly coincidental. In the dense and isolated forest, their paths intersected, and when you see someone out in the woods, our behavior towards greeting one another changes when compared to everyday life. Had she passed this man on the streets, chances are they would have not even looked at one another. But out there, it's the exact opposite. It will be construed as rude to not acknowledge a fellow person among the huge expanse of nature. James knew this, and so he used it to his advantage. With his persuasive personality, they began chatting and he quickly gained Kira's trust. Together, they journeyed through the rugged landscape, sharing stories and laughter. It was nice to pass the time with somebody else. But as days passed, Kira began noticing inconsistencies in James's stories. His behavior slowly grew erratic, his mood swings unpredictable. The once idyllic journey and transformed into a nerve-wracking experience for Kira, when she finally decided to part ways, James wasn't having it. Fast forward to February of 2023, on the other side of the country in New Jersey, at a Bass River gas station. A panicked and barefoot woman ran inside, shut the door, and locked the deadbolt. James approached from behind, trying to get in, telling her, You don't want to do this. But quickly realizing the scene it was causing, he then took off. The woman was Kira. While she was finally free, she had been kidnapped and abused by James for nearly a year as they traveled around the country. James was apprehended shortly after that. 
It was revealed that he had a bizarre and twisted past that included similar behavior of being a kidnapper and con man who used several aliases and always seemed to be able to stay one step ahead of the law. It was discovered he had once held a yacht full of people at gunpoint, and he also had threatened to kill President Bill Clinton when he was in office. Back in 2019, an article in Backpacker magazine had warned hikers about Jim, even though they didn't know it was him exactly at the time. But people were coming in with strange stories of a man on the trails who stole, threatened, and abused people, so it was a warning to be on the lookout. Currently, Perillo is behind bars in Burlington County Jail awaiting trial as prosecutors continue to gather evidence. And so, the moral of the story is that if and when your gut tells you something, listen to it, even if it means being rude to someone out there in the middle of the woods. Number three, a most dangerous hiker. As the dawn of 2008 cast its first light, the serene trails of Blood Mountain and the Chattahoochee National Forest of Georgia echo with an unspeakable horror. A crime that would unveil the story of a twisted man, Gary Hilton, who hunted his human prey in the woods of America, earning him the nickname, the National Forest Serial Killer. Meredith Emerson, a 24-year-old freshly graduated from the University of Georgia with honors, ventured into these woods on New Year's Day that year with her loyal dog, Ella, unaware that it would be her last hike. An encounter with Gary, a man known in the area to be a drifter with a temper, would be seen by several witnesses that day, putting him on the authorities' radar. Born in Atlanta, Georgia on November 26th of 1946, Hilton's life was marred by turmoil from an early age. Abuse and alcoholism was in his family. He tried hard to make a life for himself, but his stint in the U.S. Army as a paratrooper ended abruptly after a schizophrenic episode, leading to an honorable discharge in 1967. His subsequent years then were littered with failed marriages, series of petty crimes, and an increasingly disturbing demeanor. People who knew Hilton described a bizarre transformation over the years. John Tabor, a former colleague, recalled a once friendly grandpa figure morphing into something far more sinister. Missing teeth, for example, self-inflicted and proudly displayed were just the tip of the iceberg in Hilton's descent into madness. When asked why he did it, he said he liked his new look because it scared people. All that added up that something was wrong with his brain because, as far as the evidence shows, he didn't start killing until he was in his early 60s, which is much later in age than most. So he was brought in and questioned about Meredith, his hand noticeably wrapped up. That's when he told him about what he had done. He spent days with the girl, forcing her to camp out with him, but as he stated himself, she wouldn't stop. She wouldn't stop fighting and yelling at the same time, so I needed to both control her and silence her. He had broken his hand by punching her in the head so much. He told them he'd show the authorities the location of her body if they promised not to seek the death penalty. When they agreed, he ominously told them, Okay, the head will be missing. 
The discovery of Meredith Emerson's body unveiled the true extent of Hilton's depravity. This was not his first act of gruesome violence, nor was it his first decapitation. Hilton, it appeared, had been practicing his macabre craft for years. The investigations that followed pieced together a pattern of disappearances and murders, all sharing haunting similarities with Hilton's methods. The unsolved cases of Judy Smith, Jason Knapp, Rosanna Miliani, and Michael Scott Lewis suddenly found themselves under a new grim light. And Hilton may have been the missing link in these cold cases, with witnesses and evidence subtly pointing towards his involvement. The discovery of John and Irene Bryant, an elderly couple who had vanished after a hike in Pisgah National Forest, only added to the growing list of Hilton's alleged victims. The brutal nature of their deaths and the use of their credit cards miles away from the crime scene bore Hilton's signature. Cheryl Dunlap, another unfortunate soul, met a similar fate in Florida's Apalachicola National Forest in 2007. Her disappearance and the discovery of her dismembered body further solidified Hilton's image as a remorseless killer. The culmination, though, this bloody spree was the tragic fate of Meredith. Gary Hilton's reign of terror on the hiking trails of America's national forests ended with his capture, but the scars he left in the communities and the families of his victims remain. While in Georgia, the authorities kept their word and didn't seek the death penalty, the same agreement wasn't made in Florida. And so, for the killing of Cheryl, Gary received the death penalty and currently sits in jail awaiting his day at the age of 77. Number 2. The Ghost of Manzanar In the shadow of California's towering peaks, Mystery, then stayed quiet for decades beneath the alpine soil, was unwittingly unearthed back in 2019. Two hikers, Tyler Hoffer and Brandon Follin, veered off their intended path atop Mount Williamson, and that detour was about to uncover a tale lost in time. As they navigated the rugged terrain, Hoffer spotted an object that caught his eye, a bone. Upon a closer look, the initial thought of animal remains then swiftly turned into a realization as they uncovered an intact human skeleton. Its arms crossed, adorned in remnants of the past, a belt and leather shoes. The bones were old, from a bygone era, drawing back to the final days of the Second World War. It was during this turbulent time that Gichi Matsumura, Japanese-American artist found himself confined within the barbed wires of the Manzanar internment camp in California. Despite the harsh reality of his incarceration, Matsumura sought solace in the embrace of those mountains, venturing into the wilderness to capture its beauty and his watercolors. His journey, however, was met with an unforeseen tragedy, a freak summer snowstorm that claimed Matsumura's life leaving him to rest in an unmarked grave high in the mountains, a solemn testament to his forgotten story. For years, his final resting place remained a mystery, known only to very few who decided it was better to leave him than to try and move him, something they felt Matsumura would have wanted, having found a sliver of joy by looking out over the Sierra Nevada mountains. 
The discovery by Hoffer and Follen then set in motion a series of events that would finally bring closure to the Matsumore family. The Inyo County Sheriff's Office, using the marvels of modern DNA technology, identified the remains for certain. This revelation came as a bittersweet moment for Lori Matsumura, Gichi's granddaughter, who had grown up haunted by a photograph of the stone pile marking her grandfather's grave. It was a rediscovery of a family history intertwined with the pain and perseverance of the Japanese-American community during one of its most trying times. While the world had largely forgotten the ghost of Manzanar, memory lived on in the hearts of those who knew Gichi. The story resonated with the experiences of many families who bore the brunt of the interment. The unearthed remains were not just bones, they were a reminder of the resilience and suffering of those who were unjustly stripped of their freedom and dignity. And for Lori, the discovery was more than just the recovery of her grandfather's remains. It was an awakening and a catalyst to delve deeper into her family's past, to understand and share the story of their time in the camp. Her father, like many others, remained silent about the ordeal, a silence that often masked bitterness and grief. Number one, the Bushland Boogeyman. Ivan Malat was born in December of 1944 to a large family in a suburb of Sydney, Australia. His early life was unremarkable. His father was from Yugoslavia and his mother a native to Australia. And he was the fifth of 14 children in the home and so he was often left to his own devices. It was only as he grew older that a darker side of his personality began to emerge, one that reveled in the thrill of power and control. His saga took a sinister turn in September of 1992 when two runners stumbled upon a gruesome discovery in the Belonglo State Forest. It was the decomposed bodies of two backpackers. But this macabre find was just the beginning as over the next year, the bodies of seven young backpackers, including two Britons, three Germans, and two Australians, were found in the same forest, each falling victim to the same sadistic killer. The victims, all young and adventurous, had all been hitchhiking along the highways near Sydney when they disappeared. The M.O., always hauntingly consistent, each was bound, stabbed, and left in the depths of the forest. The killer, it appeared, was toying with his victims, enjoying their helplessness, and liking to watch a slow death wash over them. Because they were all such similar crime scenes, the police knew they had a single killer, but finding him would be a whole other story. The breakthrough in the case really came with a stroke of luck when authorities came upon an old report. In it, a man named Paul Onions told of how he narrowly escaped a similar fate back in 1990. He reported a terrifying tale of being picked up by a man named Bill while hitchhiking near Belonglo. Bill then held him at gunpoint, attempted to tie him up, but Onions fought back and ran off while Bill shot at him, but luckily missed. This testimony led the police to stake out Ivan Milad, a road worker with a panache for hunting. In 1994, police connected a series of circumstantial pieces of evidence. Things like the fact that Ivan wasn't working on any of the days of the murders, 
and how he recently sold his car after the discovery of two of the bodies, meaning he may have been trying to get rid of evidence. They then flew onions out and showed them Ivan, at which point he positively ID'd him as the man named Bill who had shot at him. Ivan's home was a trove of evidence, clothing, camping equipment, even a camera belonging to the missing backpackers was found. Ballistic evidence linked his weapons to the murders. A jigsaw puzzle of horror was coming together, and Malah was at its center. In July of 1996, he stood trial, facing a barrage of evidence that pointed to his guilt. The jury wasn't swayed by his claims of innocence, and so, after a 15-week trial, Malat was found guilty of seven counts of murder and sentenced to life in jail without the possibility of parole. In the true crime world, the case of Ivan Malat stands as a stark reminder of the deaths of human depravity. It's a story that continues to haunt and fascinate, a dark chapter in the annals of Australian crime that will never be forgotten. So there were five of the darkest camping stories that actually happened. I'm Andrew. I want to thank you for tuning in. And if you like this and want more exclusive and darker content from us, go check us out on Patreon. Thanks again for all the support and for stopping by today. I'll see you guys soon.